So I wanted to talk today about feeling helpless and overwhelmed. <laughs> what happens when we feel helpless and overwhelmed? Um, our baby Ella, who's about six months, has been uh, sick for the last week and been vomiting and diarrhea constantly. And uh, I felt a lot of being helpless and overwhelmed. And on Wednesday night, unfortunately, we had to actually take her to the emergency room, and she was in the hospital overnight. She's fine, but she had to be on a trip all night. And um, it was really hard to be helpless, right? We're doing all the right things, but we can't do the things, and especially to be helpless when you know everything you're doing is just to help her, but she's miserable, right? She's screaming, right? The doctors are checking her out. They're doing various things to her which are not so pleasant. They're only doing them to help her, right? <laughs> it's only compassion. But she, of course, doesn't understand that. <laughs> and she's just totally miserable and screaming. And there's nothing you can do. You can't even, normally you can comfort her. You can provide comfort to her, but you can't comfort her, right? She has to be held in a certain position. But really, this is an experience we all have, right? We all have times when we feel helpless. There's something we want to change, something we want to do, something we want to affect. And we can't do it. I mean, all of the times when we feel overwhelmed, so all of a sudden life, for whatever reason, the various parts of life all come and they just wash over us, the tidal wave hits us, and it feels like too much. Right? We can't find our place, we can't find our ground, we can't find our center. So what do we do when we feel helpless, when we feel overwhelmed? Lady Astor once, sent, once said to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. <laughs> to which Churchill responded, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> which is an example of being overwhelmed. <laughs> right? His response is just like, no way out, I'm just giving up. Right? <laughs> so first... Just notice that when we feel helpless and we feel overwhelmed, we just want to run away from it. Or we want to run away from that painful, uncomfortable situation of not being in control, of not being able to fix things. But we can't fix things. And so the first step we have to take is really a step of awareness and non-judgment, just like we practice here in the practice. is to notice, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed, and then notice that I'm probably saying at the same time, you, yada, 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 why are you feeling overwhelmed? You, blah, 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 right? <laughs> when it's really like, oh, right, I'm overwhelmed. That's normal. That's what happens to human beings, right? <laughs> Too many things happen. It's hard. I get feeling overwhelmed. It feels helpless. I can't fix the situation. It's tough. Just to notice that there's a lot of fear there, right? That overwhelmed and helplessness is all about this state of fear that it's going to be too much, I can't deal with it, or what I want to happen, the thing I want to fix, is not going to be fixed, right? It's not going to be fixed. I was sitting just uh, two nights ago, <laughs> I was sitting with Debbie, and it's just been, you know, it's been like a crazy week, we haven't been sleeping, she's up all the time, her and her entire bed is like covered in diarrhea, you know. We're like holding her under the sink, you know. It's just, it's not a pleasant experience for anybody. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed and anxious. I don't know what to do. And Debbie very wisely said, 
one thing at a time. That's all you can do. <laughs> right? That's really important to remember. So we're feeling overwhelmed, but we feel overwhelmed really because we're always in the future. We're always somewhere else. Right? We're projecting. The next thing's going to happen. The next thing's going to happen. The next thing's There's this whole story going on in our head. But really, we only can ever do one thing at a time. So we might as well just do one thing at a time. Because when we do, that's so much more easy there. Right? It's so much lighter. It's like, oh, right. That's what I'm doing anyway. It's just I'm not doing very skillful one thing at a time. Right? Because I'm doing the one thing in the midst of thinking about all the other things. But if I could just do the one thing, then it's okay. And so awareness, this noticing, is a tool to break you know, that, that feeling of overwhelmness, especially, often sort of spirals out of control. Right? It starts somewhere, we've all had that experience, and it sort of grows, and finally it's this, this storm, this raging, and we're, we're out of it, we're out of, out of control. And awareness is like this little surgical incision. It's like, oh, I can step out of the maelstrom for a second, and notice it's there, and then I'm not caught in it anymore. Then I have to be caught in this experience of being alone, because I can see, Oh, there's this whole thing going on. My mind is creating all these stories. There's tension in my body. My chest is fluttering, maybe. Whatever's happening to me, however you experience it. I can step outside for a moment, and there's a little bit of perspective. Right? There's some place that I can see what's happening. And then we can respond a little more wisely. Because if there's feelings of helplessness, we can have various responses. So I was with her, I was thinking about this, I was with her in the hospital that night, and the doctors are checking her out. She's screaming, right? And it's incredibly painful, and I'm totally helpless, and I can't comfort her as I normally do. And there are a few choices we can make in that situation. One is we can run away, right? Which I definitely had an impetus to do. Like, just go, like, hide myself and stand in the corner, right? <laughs> as they checked her out, right? My friend told me about her brother and sister-in-law who had a child, because we were talking about this, who um, had an ear infection. They had to give these drops in the kid's ear, which, like, burned a little bit. You know, you may have had this if you ever had an ear infection and took ear drops in. And so every time of night when he, the kid was supposed to get the ear drops, he would, like, zoom, take off, right? It's like running around the house like a madman. You know, they have to go running after him to catch him. And she said her brother would just go, like, hide in his room. <laughs> and his wife, her sister-in-law, would go, like, catch the kid and give him eardrops. Because, like, he just couldn't handle it. He just could not handle it. Which we understand, right? We can all understand that. It's just really hard to handle it sometimes. But, of course, running away isn't the most skillful means, right? Even if I couldn't really comfort Ella in the best way, hopefully me just putting my hand on her, saying to her that it's going to be okay, was some kind of comfort in that situation, right? And we can see that with ourselves, with other friends and relationships. Even if we can't do whatever we need to do, even if we are helpless in, in the essential way, we can't fix the problem, our presence still provides some kind of healing. Another thing we can do, some of us do, is uh, we fall apart, right? Personally, I don't do this just because my personality, for some reason, doesn't allow me to do it. It makes me do other bad options. But right, this bad option isn't one that I do. But some of us do that, right? And we can just wallow in it, right? Like, oh, I'm so helpless, wah, 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 right? Whatever it is, right? But we're like, it's very easy. We get self-indulgent. We're wallowing in it. We're falling apart. I'm helpless. I'm just going to, boom, put my hands up, surrender, not in the good way, right? And just, that's it. I'm wallowing in it. A third thing we can do, right, is we can seize up around it, right? 
Um, and that was my like classic strategy. Where it was like, oh, okay, take control, be stoic, right? Like everything's gonna be okay, crisis, right? You know, have a stiff upper lip, as they say in England. As Stephen Levine said, it's hard to kiss somebody with a stiff upper lip. <laughs> right? There isn't a lot of love there. There isn't a lot of softness. There isn't a lot of compassion there. And sometimes even in the split second we have to do that. In some crisis we just have to like pull ourselves together because we're not able to do it the other way, and that's okay. Right? But then what I notice is that if I use that as a coping strategy... Sometimes it works okay for the crisis, for the moment, right? Like you get, get through something. But then I express it badly in some other way, right? I snap at somebody. I feel terrible. I act in not the best way, right? Because really what I've just done is just shut down, right? You put the clamps on, it's like clamp, <coughs> shut it all down, don't feel anything, act, make sure this gets done. And then actually you're not providing the support the best you can right, that the person needs. And then there's the fourth way, the way that we try to do, which is just to open to it. What if we just totally open to it, right? It's like, oh, right, this is really painful. This is really uncomfortable. I can't solve it. Bring it on, right? Just totally open to it. It's really Rambam's middle way. Right? It's not tightening up around it. It's not letting it overwhelm you and fall apart because of it. It's just saying, I can be totally steady in this storm. I can be completely open to the storm. And I can just sway with the storm. Or I can just sway with the storm. We're not resisting it. And we're not indulging it. And that's really the place of wisdom. Right? We're not resisting we're not indulging. We're not pushing it away. We're not falling into it. We're just keeping our seat. We're keeping our place. That place of stability right in the middle there. And when you can be in that place, that place which is really in a sense just totally open, right? Then there's real wisdom. There's real presence. It says in Shemot Rabbah, She'ein makom panui below shechina. Wherever there's an empty space, wherever there's openness, the Shekhinah is present. Right? Lovely. Wherever there's openness, the Shekhinah is present. If we can just take a few moments and just let ourselves be in that openness, then that divine wisdom can just be there. And the divine wisdom, of course, doesn't mean that we solve the problem. We're talking about problems that really we can't solve at the moment. The divine wisdom means we act as wisely as we can in the situation. I couldn't I actually could not comfort Ella in that situation. It's not like acting as wise as I could means I could make her stop crying. There was no way to make her stop crying and have the doctors do their checks, and the doctors had to do their checks. That was really important, right? Okay. But I didn't have to run away. I didn't have to indulge. I could be totally present with her. I could bring as much comforting presence as I could. And then I could be totally prepared as soon as the doctors walked away to give her a comfort. And to give her comfort, which was not... There's a tendency, you can see it in parents, you can see it in friends, to give a kind of, uh, maybe I'll call it like a neurotic comfort. Right? It's like, you're the kid, it's like, <gasps> gotta comfort you right now, right? <laughs> like, must be okay, right? But that really isn't wise. 
Right? That's certainly not the most comforting, stable, open presence that you can give that child or that other human being at the moment. That doesn't make them feel the safest. In fact, they feel that like, oh my God, something's not okay. Or if they're going to be, com- they're going to be quiet, it's because somebody else needs me to be quiet and okay at this moment, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be too much for them, right? But instead of being like, okay, that happened. It was really painful. It was really terrible. And now maybe we can be in some kind of comforting, loving space. And of course, you can't always do it. Right? You can't always do it. It's important to remember that all these things, like it's practice. We try to do it, and we fail. And sometimes it's okay to know that it's just too much. And on Friday, after this had been going on for a week, Debbie and I had both had you know, stages where we'd fallen apart a little bit. Um, but I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. So like, I went to Debbie. I was like, I, I can't do this for the next like, hour and a half. <laughs> she was like, okay. And I like, went and watched TV. You know? <laughs> like, wasn't skillful. I wasn't meditating. It was just like something so that my mind for a second was just somewhere else. Total distraction, right? Maybe I won't need to do it when I'm enlightened, right? <laughs> but right now, I think that was probably actually pretty skillful for me. Like, I needed somewhere to just be somewhere else for a little bit, to let go of it, and then be able to come back. Okay, let go of it, now I can come back and be present with this again, you know? It's like Pinchas of Korah said, he was asked by one of his students, how do we deal with suffering, with what's with God hiding his face, with Hester Panim, right? Hiding the face. And he says, if you know it's hiding, then it ceases to be hiding. Right? It's like if, if we just know it, if we can just be like, oh, right, the pain's there. The pain's really there. I can be present with the pain. Then it's not suffering in the same way. And this attitude, this willingness to be present really gives us a tremendous flexibility in the situations, right? Knowing that we don't have to have the answers right now, and the answers can emerge at any moment. In Avot Rabbi Natan, it says that we should be like a reed which bends in the wind, and so is used as a pen to write the Torah, right? Reed bends, versus a cedar, which is uprooted and broken apart. It's a beautiful image, right? That that reed, which bends, which is flexible, which is able to be in the storm without being destroyed by the storm because it's willing to go with the storm. That's what writes the Torah. Right? It's that aspect, which is Torah. Versus the cedar, which resists, which is it's strong, but ultimately blown apart. And so really it's about letting go of control really ultimately this aspects of helplessness and feeling overwhelmed is about us trying to assert control in uncontrollable situations, which is actually life, right? <laughs> it's an uncontrollable situation. We feel it most acutely in certain uncontrollable situations, but it's actually pretty much true all the time. We have choices. We can affect things. It's not that we're always helpless and nothing we can do, but we can almost never control and we can never totally control. Right? As it says in Brachot, teach your tongue to say, I don't know. Right? I don't know. It's like, oh yeah, I don't know. Can we really admit, I don't know. I'm not sure what's right here. I don't know exactly how to respond here. And in that space of not knowing, we can allow the response to emerge in a much more natural way.
And this, this letting go of control, just want to be clear, it's very important. It doesn't mean you don't do everything you can, right? Of course, we did everything we could. We gave her a rehydration solution constantly and fed her and took her temperature and brought her to the hospital when she was getting worse and called the doctor and went to the doctor every day, right? You do everything you can. Of course you do everything you can. Knowing that you're not in control, right? The control is it's the tightness, the seizing, the attachment around doing whatever you can. Not doing whatever you can is just irresponsibility. Right? It's not, that's not letting go of control, right? That's just letting go completely. But the idea is you do everything you can with this openness, right? With a little more spaciousness in your actions. And really, when we're feeling overwhelmed, usually our reaction is to try and grasp onto something, right? It's like we're, if we fall into the rapids, we're flying downstream, and we're like, can I just grab the branch going by? So I can hold on to something and pull myself out. That's our normal reaction. But what if instead, instead of trying to seek some ground, some access, some place where we can be secure and hold on to, we just let go? What if we recognize there's nothing to hold on to? There's no secure ground, there's no place. There's no ultimate ontological tree branch, right? That's going to pull us out of the river. It just doesn't exist. It'd be nice if it did, <laughs> but it's not there. Because when you struggle to find that ground, to find a place that's like, mm, I'm going to assert this place, right? That's going to make me feel safe for a moment. There's a lot of tension in that. There's a lot of suffering in that. And in fact, it feeds that feeling of being overwhelmed because you're fighting, you're fighting, you're fighting. It's like, right, you're fighting, you're swimming against the current to try and fight your way to some place of security that you can get to. What if I can just let go of the struggle? Which doesn't mean you don't try and find a solution, right? Just the notice is again important. You may be overwhelmed because there's like too much to do and you don't know how to find your way out of it. You can let go of the struggle, and then you can say, okay, I'm going to start by doing this thing, or maybe I should make a list, right? <laughs> it's fine. It doesn't mean not doing anything. It means not doing anything in the way that you're grasping onto something to pull you out of the maelstrom. Instead, it's sort of about relaxing into the maelstrom and realizing in that being swept around, you can find a much more easier solution, a solution that is with more ease. Right away with more ease. It's the same thing when we feel helpless. It's so hard, right, to feel helpless. Maybe someone we know is suffering and we can't help them. Somebody close to us, right? All kinds of different ways in different situations. Maybe we're suffering and we can't actually help ourselves at the moment. Or we can't fix the problem, whatever the problem is. Maybe we failed at something, right? And we can't control it. There's something really threatening and challenging about feeling helpless, at least to many of us. Right? We sit there not knowing what to do. There's this fear of not knowing what's going to happen. There's a real challenge, at least for many of us, I know it's my experience, to our identity. Right? We think of ourselves as effective, successful, accomplished. Right? And all of a sudden, we're not. 
right? We thought we were better than the other handle things, and all of a sudden, oops, we're not handling things. Like, we just failed, right? We're trying to work, make this thing work, and it's not working. We're trying to help this person, and it's not working at all. We'd like this person to feel better, and they're not, right? We'd like to feel better, and we're not. It's very challenging. And we transfer that, of course, also to other people. Right? Not only do we feel challenged and pressured by it, but we start to get so fixed on fixing the problem or fixing it their problem that there's no space for them either. There's no room for them to breathe. Right? But what if we just acknowledge that we're helpless? We just say, oh yeah, helpless. Oh right, can't fix this. Okay, maybe there's something else we can do that's wiser. Like, just be present with it. Right? Just feel it. Just offer the person our hand or a hug. Right? Just offer ourselves a hand or a hug. Notice that, that there's a, an elderly person I know who I was visiting who had been in the hospital for quite a while and was a, a bit confused, sort of coming out of her confusion, came out of her confusion, and was tremendously anxious, tremendously, tremendously anxious. Because she didn't know what was happening to her exactly. She didn't know if she was going to get better. She didn't understand totally what was wrong with her. She was totally overwhelmed, right? And, and she unfortunately had had no really training or life experience or, or thought in that way about what do I do in this situation of feeling overwhelmed, of being in this situation, right? And it was just a very painful situation. And we sat with her and talked to her and sort of held her and also tried to in some ways reassure that I was going to be okay or explain to her what was happening. But there was just so much feeling of overwhelmness, so much anxiety, so much terror. She just couldn't even take that in, or she couldn't even be with it. She had no resources to deal with it. On the other hand, uh, Jack Kornfield talks about a friend of his who was a longtime meditator who had gotten Alzheimer's, who opened the door to him and said, I don't know who you are, but welcome to my home. Right? It's like that ability to be with, to practice, to practice and be with, oh, I'm really in uncertainty. There's some basic wisdom of understanding I'm just in uncertainty. I don't know, and I'm not going to know who these people are. So just welcome. Come on in. Beautiful story that my teacher, one of my teachers, Tara Brach, told about um, uh, one meditation teacher who was actually getting early uh, Alzheimer's, early dementia. Didn't realize it yet. And was teaching, and in the middle as he started, just became completely confused, right? Alzheimer's didn't know he was, didn't know what was happening. And so he just started to name his experience. Confused, scared, fear, uncertainty, tremor in my body, feeling lost. And just kept doing that for about the next 20 minutes until slowly he actually regained his place, right, sort of where he was, reoriented as to where he was, and then started talking about that. And uh, one of the people from the class said, it was the deepest teaching they'd ever experienced. Right? Just to see this person be totally honest and present with, oh, overwhelmed, scared, don't know what's happening, 
but totally with it. Right? Totally with it. You can be totally with it. And admit it and be open with it. Without losing himself. Right? He can be lost without losing himself. And that comes when we're willing to not resist. When we're willing to not push it away, even though it's scary. I was up with Ella, I'll just say one night this week. <laughs> we were up a, a number of times, up at 1.30, then again up at like 4. Up with her taking a syringe right, and giving her 5 milliliters every 5 minutes of this rehydration solution. Right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there with me and it's like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and you know, she hasn't been happy and I'm every 5 minutes... <laughs> squirting some more liquid into her mouth. And exhausting, and it's crazy, and you're totally worried about her. But then when I just relaxed into it, it was okay. It was actually quite beautiful. And I was sitting her there in the dark room. It was quite gorgeous. I just started counting my breaths, to sort of count every five minutes, right? And there was actually something like really peaceful and relaxing about it. And yeah, it wasn't the best situation possible. And no, I didn't want to be up at four in the morning. You have to have already been up at one in the morning, you know, right? This is not ideal. And I had to do it for an hour each time, right? It's like, okay, it wasn't ideal. And after having changed her nappy from the diary, right? Not ideal. All not ideal. But you know what? It was okay. It was okay. There was something actually quite peaceful and loving about it. When I could just let go of all my expectations and things I needed it to be some other way and actually just be with what was. Right? And that's what was. What was was I needed to give her this stuff. I was going to do it. I wasn't like, I wasn't going to do it. Of course I was going to do it. <laughs> so the only question was, how was I going to relate to doing it? Right? That was the question. And so that's what happens also you know, when we're overwhelmed. It's just a question of how we relate to it. It's like um, undertow. You know? I don't know if anybody here has been caught in undertow. Right? So if you try and swim against the undertow, it's like impossible. It's much stronger than you. You have to actually just like swim sideways with it. Allow it to take you out to a place where you can then come back in. Or it's like, I'm sure this is true if you like really surf as well, but I don't really surf, but body surf, beach in the summer, right? So sometimes a wave just like smashes you, right? You don't catch it quite right and it smashes you. And when it smashes you, if you're like <laughs> trying to struggle out as it smashes you, Forget about it, because <laughs> there's no chance. You don't have a chance. You're being like turned 360 over and over again by the wave, and sand's going up your nose, and all kinds of things are happening, right? You can't do that. But if it's like, oh, I'm being smashed, let it smash me, and then it'll roll past you. Like, you'll come out of being smashed. Oh, and then it's actually quite easy to just emerge to the surface, and it's okay, right? It's the same thing in our own emotional experience. We're getting overwhelmed. And if we fight it, we're like clawing our way out. And it just gets more overwhelming and we get the sand up our nose, right? But if we're willing to just be like, okay, tumble, 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 open to just the tumbling, then there's a space which opens up, which is a little bit of ease, a little bit of space where we can get out. And really doing that is in a sense seeing that it's all God. Right? The whole world is His glory, is filled with His glory. It's nothing but God, and it's all God. And in a, a deeper sense, really, in our lives, there's a sense in which when the wave smashes us, what if we were just water? Right? What if we were just water? The wave just moves right through you. Right? Just moves right through you. The wave, in fact, isn't even water. 
The wave is just a moon of energy in the water, right? That's what a wave actually is. If you were just water, so it would just come over, smash, fine, smash. That was an interesting experience, being smashed. And there it goes, I'm by. I'm still okay, right? I'm just sitting there. And I'm okay, paradoxically, precisely because I'm not holding on to anything. I'm not holding on to being okay. Right? I'm just really open to it. So there's a story about Schmelke of Nicholsburg, who's a Hasidic master, who was really serious about learning and like moving up in the path. And he used to um, sleep sitting up, learn sitting up with a candle in his hand. So when the candle burned down or he's nutted over, it would wake him, right? Because it would burn him. So Eli Melech Lezhensk, who was another Hasidic master, when he visited him, he persuaded him with great difficulty to lie down for a while. He was like, just, just lie down for a little while. <laughs> it won't be so bad, right? So then he lows down for a little while, and Eli Melech closes the shutters and the windows, right? Sneaky, sneaky. And uh, Shmelke slept through the entire night and the entire next day, and the whole night until it was broad daylight again, right? Obviously very sleep-deprived. And when he woke up, he was filled with a previously unknown clarity. Right? And they said that when he davened and recited Shiratayam, the song of the sea, the congregation lifted the hems of their garments because they were scared of getting wet. Right? <laughs> it was like so real, his davening and singing Shiratayam. It was like, oh my gosh, we're in the yam. <laughs> we're going to get wet, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, what if we just let go? You can just be helpless, and that can also be deep service, deep work. The work isn't always about like, push myself, push myself. I can do a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. And they're just like, oh, I can just let go. I can just let go, and that can open up something really beautiful, really clear, really tremendous. So, <laughs> I'll just finish with two things. It says in Tehillim, great line, Libi chalal birkirbi, which can in a certain sense mean one of two things. My heart is dead within me, in a halal, like, which is like a corpse, or my heart is an open space inside of me. And in some ways, that's our choice. Our heart is always halal. But is it going to be empty in the sense of open or empty in the sense of dead? Right. And if we can let our heart be open, if we can let our heart be pierced, which is another meaning of halal, we let our heart be vulnerable then that tremendous vulnerability, there's wisdom. We don't have to be lost in helplessness or lost in being overwhelmed. And really, what there is there is what the Hasidim call bitachon, right? There's trust, deep trust and faith. And the trust and faith is not that everything's going to be okay, because things are not always okay, right? Things don't always work out. It's not that everything's going to be okay. It's trust that we can be with it, however not okay it is. 
It's trust that is a deep realization, as the Ishkodesh says, that really we're not in charge. Right? And in the end, we're not acting. In the end, when we really act wisely, what we really do is just open up to be a vessel for God to act through. We just open up and surrender to the divine that act, that's acting through us. So thank you, everybody. And as usual now, we'll open it up to questions, comments, thoughts, reports about your experience, whatever you like. That's okay. Um, uh, it depends, basically in different ways. Uh, body scans can be very effective. First of all, they just help you establish your posture, right? Sorry? Sorry? Body scan is just mindfully going through and scanning literally through your body, right? So it's just like, oh, what's happening in my head, what's happening in my eyes, my nose, my neck, right? Um, and second of all, it's just mindfulness, right? Just mindfulness. It's like, oh, okay, let's actually check out and pay attention to what's happening in each piece of me. So it's a kind of directed mindfulness. In that way, it's a little more a concentration practice because usually you're trying to be very focused in particular. I bring my attention to this, bring my attention to that, bring my attention to that, right? The way that I found that it can be effective is um, sometimes we come to practice and there's a lot of tension, right? And it's actually, it's hard to like let go of the tension or just be with the tension. And so if you scan piece by piece, it's a way to just, oh, notice, let go, very sort of precisely, piece by piece. And that can open up a little more space for you to be able to practice with mindfulness. You know, that's my own experience. I'm sure there are tons of other reasons that people do or work with body scans, but I don't know what they are.
and everyone's going to die. And I'm like, God, I felt so bad for that. <laughs> it was the, everyone's kind of looking at me and feeling bad for me, of course. But, um, but I don't know how to get that Zen back into my life. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Um, so that's a great question. So I want to I sort of talk about a few elements of it. The first element um, is what you said so rightly, which is we have this thought. We all have this. It's like, oh, if I just do this, then I'll be calm, or then I'll have time to practice, or then I'll be mindful, or then I'll find peace, right? Never true, right? <laughs> doesn't matter what the thing is. It's never then do this, and then that's going to happen. It's just life doesn't work that way. You're never going to finish. You never finish completely, right? I mean when you die, right? But before that, you're never going to finish. So it's never like, oh, I'm going to do this, then finally that, right? So the only choice is, can I do it now? That's one just piece. Second piece to recognize over all these experiences is that maybe you're doing too many things, right? <laughs> we should all, always think about that, right? It's not just internal reaction. It also might just be some external reality there, right? That's one piece. The next question to ask yourself, which I find really helpful, you've got a million things to do, right? And let's say you really have a ton of things to do. For whatever reason, you can't actually not do any of them, right? How is the stress around them helping you? Right? It's not helping you. Right? It's actually not helping you. It's not, in fact, usually it's harming you. Right? It's making you less effective, you're doing one thing, you're worrying about the next thing, etc. Right? So that experience itself, just the first thing to just notice, right? before you even do anything with it, it's just helpful to notice. Oh, A, this is painful. B, this isn't helping me. Right? That is great wisdom. That's great insight, just to see that. Because from that wisdom and insight, there's already a motivation to change your relationship to the situation. Right? All right, painful, not helping okay, maybe I should try something else, right? So then it's like, okay, let's try. Let's say if I took five minutes, right? Almost in anything we do, right? Unless you're like dealing with a medical emergency, right? If you take five minutes, it's going to be fine. It's not going to radically change how much you're getting done, right? So if you took five minutes and tried to just be present with the worry, right? Don't try to chuck it away. Just feel like, okay, there's a lot of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. Let's just open to it completely. Just open to it completely, right? And see if it feels as overwhelming. Maybe then there's a space of a little more stability, a little more kind of flexibility, that then you can re-enter the process. Maybe you open that up and actually realize, you know what? If I don't do this one thing, yes, it'd be good if I did it. Yes, so-and-so will be upset at me, but the sky will not fall, right? Nothing terrible will happen. We're all going to be okay. All right, that's the last thing I'm going to do. If I get to it, I get to it. Great. If I don't get to it, I don't get to it. Oh, well, that's the way it's going to be. Right? Third piece I'm going to suggest from my own experience is usually when we talk about doing something, it means doing it perfectly. Right? <laughs> oh, what if we didn't do everything perfectly? <laughs> that would be okay, too. Right? Our job, <laughs> some of you are like... That's not true. <laughs> That's definitely not true. Of course I have to do it perfectly, right? <laughs> but you know what? Wow, you know, we don't have to do everything perfectly. It's okay. Sometimes, because of like circumstances, like we just 
get by. We do it okay. And that's okay, right? Nothing terrible happens. Nothing terrible happens. So that moment, it's like to give you a little bit of perspective, a little bit of perspective. Okay, and then maybe with that perspective, I can approach the situation with a little more wisdom. First of all, um, the question is, the first part of the question is, what is actually the nature of your experience, right? So some people, there's pressure and there's feeling overwhelmed, right? They're not the same thing, right? So you can feel under pressure, right? there can be a lot of demands on you, and you can feel fine with it quite easy with it, or feel like, yeah, it's pressure and it's quite energizing. That can be fine if it makes you to feel a kind of focused, clarified, energized work. No problem with that, as long as, this is what to check out, am I suffering? Am I making somebody else suffer because of this? Right? Do I think I'm focused and clarified, but actually when somebody comes in to ask me something, I'm like, get out of my room, right? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, just check it out, right? So that's okay. It's not that there's, what we're talking about here is not like there's some inherent external situation which is inherently bad or good, right? People are different. Things can work for people in different ways. Totally fine, right? But just to just check out, well, what really is motivating me there? What really is the best way for me to work? Was that healthiest for me? Maybe it was. Was that healthiest for my body? I don't know. Like my first time in, in uh, uh, when I was in university, I did one all-nighter, right? And I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> that was it. I never did it again. I was just like, nothing has worked that. <laughs> I feel absolutely terrible, right? <laughs> I mean, I handed in the paper, but that was just terrible, right? So that was me, right? For me, it was like, this is bad. This does not work for my body. For somebody else, it may be like, fine, no problem. That's fine, right? So it's not about a particular way you have to respond. It's about checking out what's happening for you, right? And then seeing. But then also checking out things like, essentially what you said about, Oh, it has to be perfect the first time. Was it the perfect first time you wrote under pressure? Or was it just that pressure was so pressured that you know you didn't have time to go back and fix it, so you're willing to live with whatever you wrote then? I don't know. I'm just making this up, right? And like, maybe there's something about writing it beforehand and being okay with, oh, it not being perfect. Right? What's the relationship between that? How is that pushing you? Is it making things healthy? So it's all fine. It's just about checking out how is this actually operating my life? Is this actually helping me and working well for me? 
or is it harming me and working badly for me? Right? Sure. Last well, question. Mindfulness isn't about being passive. It's very important. There's nothing passive about it. There is something aware about it. Okay? So being okay with it is in the sense of saying, this is reality. Right? A lot of times in this class we're going to talk about being okay with it. We're talking about acceptance, right? So it's very important to be clear about what we mean by that. Acceptance doesn't mean that what's happening right now is good, nor does it mean I'm not going to act to change what's happening. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that I'm willing to accept at this moment that that's what's happening. So let me just be a little bit clear about that, right? Usually what happens is something's happening at a moment, and we're not willing to accept that that's the truth at the moment, which doesn't actually do anything because that is the truth at the moment. Like, you can't change that moment. You might be able to change the next moment, and that's good. That's skillful. That makes sense, right? You can't change that moment, actually. You can suffer, though, in that moment, right? And you can make other people suffer, and you can act unwisely because you're resisting so strongly the truth of that moment. But you can watch, observe. I totally see that. I'm willing to see it. It's not good, right? That's not a good thing. I'm not going to act in the wisest way possible to change it. So absolutely. In fact, out of mindfulness comes action. But in my experience, it comes much wiser action. Right? So in my experience, when I react out of the tightness, things have to be different, there's a lot of um, violence in a certain sense of my action. Even, I don't mean literal violence, but there's, a, there's imposition, there's anger, there's force right? in a certain way, um, which usually doesn't help to solve the situation in the best way. And when there's a mindfulness and openness to the situation, there's a lot more flexibility and wisdom in seeing what are the possible solutions in the situation. And also how to kind of communicate these solutions and the experience in a way that's going to be heard by the other people around me. But having said all of that, very important about everything I say here <laughs> is don't believe me. Check it out for yourself. You know? It's not about like I'm talking about my own experience and what's happening, but I'm not like telling you some truth you're supposed to accept or something, right? <laughs> like, just check it out, <laughs> right? I'm talking to myself, so check it out. Maybe you'll say, like, no, that doesn't work for me. Fine, no problem. Go do something else, right? <laughs> but if you check it out and you find, yeah, this is effective and I feel like it's affecting me this way, fantastic. Continue with it, right? So that's really the most important thing is just check it out, investigate it with your own experience. And that's what this whole practice is about. It's a practice of investigating ourselves. And from that investigation, right, from being able to actually watch what happens in our own moment-to-moment -moment experience, wisdom comes from that. So we're going to end there. Um, uh, we will.